Hello, and welcome to the Coach Conversations podcast, the podcast where coaches have conversations about all things coaching. I am Brendan Laleve, and today I'm joined by Jason Wong. How did you find coaching, Jason, or probably, as it seems with most of us, how did it find you? Hi, Brendan. Thanks for having me. Coaching, where did my coaching journey start? Maybe 10 years ago. I was working in technology leadership roles and as a lot of people would be aware, technology leadership roles are quite diverse and varied. There's lots of things to do in there. And I was finding there were some bits, which I was definitely not enjoying as much as I used to. And so contemplated changing careers a number of times, but then I was invariably pulled back because of my, my experience, my knowledge and not wanting to uh, waste that. Uh, I suppose it dwelled on me at some point that I was going around calling myself uh, a technology manager, technology leadership uh, person, technology leader, but I found that I was much more, much more attuned to the management and the leadership side of my role than the technical stuff. So I did come from technical background. I'd started off on the help desk, you know, solving print jams and word formatting issues back in the day. Uh, but I found that I was really energized by uh, leading teams, uh, delivering um, uh, outcomes for people around the organization. I, I did actually have a, my first career was actually in hospitality management. And so I found that the customer service focus of, of that part of my career really helped me in my IT career because I was able to differentiate myself as a very customer service and engaging IT leader, which at the time there weren't really many, very many of us around. Um, and so, yeah, as I got more senior roles in tech leadership, I, yeah, I found that what I, not only what I really enjoyed, but what I, what I ended up being pretty good at, you know, based on the feedback I was receiving from lots of people was uh, motivating people and getting the best out of them. And it gave me a lot of joy. And so when I, oh, back, uh, back in the, back in the summer of 2015, when I decided to quit my job as a director of IT and become a stay at home dad, I, uh, did a bit of reflection, thought about what can I do next, decided to go and get myself a coaching accreditation. Um, and that's pretty much where the journey started. And since then I've, yeah, just slowly trying to define what sort of coach I want to be, what sort of coach I can be, but probably more importantly, what sort of coach is really needed out there. And that journey is still continuing. I think, um, going okay at the moment, but yeah, always looking to refine and, you know, improve and look for, um, more opportunities. Yeah. There's lots of parallels in our story, which is, is interesting. Uh, having found coaching, being a stay at home dad myself, quit the whatever regular job to, to be a stay at home dad, you know, some of the transition that needed to happen to step out of that role and into that new role was quite interesting. I started on a help desk as well, but 
now if something goes wrong with the computer, I'm probably the last person you want to ask about it because I have, I have very little experience now. You found the motivating and the building teams and the working with others was more of what attracted you than the technology stuff? Or was there sort of a, a double interest in that, those early roles? Um, well, I, I left hospitality because I wanted something a bit more cerebral, if you like, if, uh, something where I could, you know, just think about and have problems and I could work through methodically and sit at the desk and, um, you know, nut it out. And because I was growing up as a kid, I was an introvert and hospitality was real, was pretty hard for me initially because I was doing food and beverage sort of stuff. So working in restaurants and function centers and, and hotels. And the first couple of years of that was quite uncomfortable for me, but then I got into the swing of it and, uh, I guess came out of my shell and then, um, yeah, I, I think I was able to use that in my IT career, but the, the other sort of factor, I suppose, is I played a lot of team sports. And also watched a lot of team sports and was always, always a big fan of the saying, a champion team will always be the team of champions. And it just got me fascinated with how to get, how to build that champion team, I suppose, in any environment. And that involved thinking about every component of that team and recognizing that every, every component of that team, every person in that team is completely different. And in order to understand um, how to get the, you know, get those people to reach their potential, I had to listen to them and understand what motivated them and understand what environments did they like to work in, which environments did they not thrive in. Um, yeah, those sort of things. And, and that whole process, I suppose, in my, in my management career was what, what gave me the greatest satisfaction. I suppose because it was all about people, it was all about seeing people realize their potential. And that's something which... I've always been, well, I suppose for as long as I can remember, always been, I really like people succeeding. I really like people, um, exceeding expectations, you know, especially their own. And I suppose in a lot of ways, coaching was something which was naturally always going to happen to me. I, I definitely had a few people say that to me, you know, why do you coach or mentor or, or something like that? I said, oh, yeah, I doubt I probably, I should probably think about that. Um, yeah, and I, and I think that even the stay at home dad experience was was um, yeah, it was full on. I mean, as you know, I mean, it was. It, I still say it's the hardest job that I've ever done, but at the same time, it was also the most rewarding. Um, just the the skills that I learned in being a stay at home parent, and you know, with that becomes being uh, upping the responsibilities from a domestic responsibility as well. And just, just it, the, um, the skill that you need to adapt and respond in an instant, um, the, the, the skill of accepting, being, being comfortable with uncomfortableness, if you like, and recognizing that there are just, just some things that you kind of just got to let sit and can't solve it straight away. And, and definitely coming from an IT background where my entire world was pretty much solving problems. It was definitely a bit of a jump, uh, a bit of a, bit of a change in mindset and headspace, but I do feel it definitely made me, made me a better person. Definitely. I'm um, better dad, better partner. And ultimately 
a bit later and you know, just start to build until the lights begin to more Yeah, I know my experience was a lot of what you've spoken about there, but it was sort of on the third day of being a stay-at-home dad, my wife had gone back to work. Uh, and I, I rang her at lunchtime and all of a sudden, all those sort of three thirty, four o'clock, when are you coming home type phone calls made a lot more sense to me as to why they got <laughs> <not> made. <laughs> Cause I was asking that question and, uh, wife's like, oh, I've got a meeting, so I won't be home until sort of four thirty, five o'clock. What's going on? And I'm like, this is way harder than I thought it was. <laughs> Uh, way different to what I thought it was going to be, and and her advice to me was, "Or oh, you've been, you've been in the house for three days, haven't you?" And I'm like, of course, isn't yeah, nothing else that needs to be done. We don't need to go out. We've got stuff here, you know, things that we can do, and food that we need to cook, and dishes that need to be washed, and you know, games that need to be played, and toys that need all of that stuff is there, and naps that need to be had at that stage because my eldest was quite young. And she's like, you just got to get out of the house. You, you've got to go for a walk. You've got to, um, you know, if you stay inside those four walls, you'll find that really challenging. So I'm pleased it was made clear to me after only three days because we did. We went to the shops and had a bit of a walk around and much better for it. But yeah, three days <laughs> in. <laughs> it's it's def definitely something which I really wish more dads would do. And, and they are. I mean, they're, they're definitely more state-owned dads. And definitely a lot more dads that are a lot more involved and present in their kids' activities than ever. Because, like I said earlier, it was it was just really the warning, you know. But um, like I definitely had a few mates that just thought I was sitting at home watching daytime television all day. And um, I remember at one at one point, it helped me keep track of feeding times for my newborn and infant. I was recording everything in OneNote. I was recording what times she ate and what she was eating. Um, but I was also recording nap times, you know, how long she was sleeping for, what time she went to sleep. Because, um, you know, that would, that would help me manage. Oh, I go, well, hang on, she just woke up, you know, one hour ago. So, can't, well, yeah, the, when you're trying to work out the different crimes, cut uh, tired, there must be something else. Yeah. But then what I found myself doing was I ended up writing down everything I did that day. <laughs> so I kept this log over, I did it for at least a good six, maybe more than nine months. And when I look back at that and just have a look at the amount of things that you have to do at home, because I had my newborn, I had a, a toddler at the time, and I also had a primary school as well. Um, and... Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's, it's, I look back on it with a lot of pride, really, and just think, fine, I was able to do that. For the most part, not lose it. Oh, there were definitely days early on. And, you know, as like most things, if you, if you, um, do it for long enough, you know, you work out, you know, systems and routines and little, little tweaks here and there, get good and comfortable with it. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was good. And, and, you know, and, and the, and the great thing was, I was as busy, if not more busy, when I was working my full-time role, but I was spending time with, you know, the most important people in my life, all day, every day. Uh, most days, obviously, I took, you know, timeouts every now and then, but it was, yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah, I, 
I didn't have quite that technical a solution. I had a whiteboard with a daily log, so mine's all been wiped off. But yeah, I, I, we had the same sort of thing. My wife had come home and she'd go, well, what did you do today? And I was able to sort of go, well, let's go back to the whiteboard and, and sort of debrief the day off the whiteboard as sort of the log, uh, because it does help. Yeah, it's a technique you'd use in the office. So why wouldn't you use it at home around? Okay, well, I've done this and I've done that. And this is what we've done. And this is the mix and what have you. Uh, cause I'm not great at retaining that level of information cause it, it's just write it down and then it's written down and away it goes. So that was, that was the solution we had, but I, I did definitely notice that the vast majority of the skills that I'd built in the workplace to that point did not work, uh, as well or, um, as efficiently or as effectively in the home environment. And there was a lot of you know, discovery of self that happened as I would you know, transition from being you know, public servant to stay-at-home dad. How, how did you find that change in, in those roles or to those new roles? Um, look, it was, it was a bit of a learning curve, but I did, I did enjoy it. You know, I, I did enjoy it. For those reasons that I said that I was, well, I was with my kid, I was seeing, I was seeing every single moment, you know, I, I think there was a little bit of, a little bit of envy from my wife sometimes because I was, you know, to tell her about, well, you know, this is what Lucy did today and you know, the first one that she'd done and this is great, done this as well. And, um, you know, in a lot of ways that helped me with my own personal development, my own personal growth in terms of trying to work out who I wanted to be and what, what my, you know, the direction and the purpose in my life, I suppose. Um, I didn't really, look, I, I left my last role with, um, under quite a bit of stress and anxiety. And so I definitely wasn't missing that, um, to the point where I haven't worked a full-time job since. <laughs> so I'm quite craving to go back and I. And I quite look, I, I quite like the consultant coaching, um, experience at the moment because of all that flexibility and I'm still able to go to my kids' events pretty easily. Uh, it's like, I just haven't missed, uh, anything major that's happened with my kids for a long time now, but there's also that, um, you know, balancing where does the money come from? So one of the things that has definitely been a big change that I've had to adjust to living with a lot less income. And initially it was, well, probably still is arguably a little bit of a social experiment just to see how much money do we actually really need to have a happy life. And, and we're doing pretty well, quite frankly. I mean, you know, there, there's some things that we've had to, uh, we've had to sacrifice, you know, so we're not going on a fancy holiday anymore and probably need to get a better car. Um, but they're, they're not things that bother us on a day to day basis. Every now and then we'll. Will come up. Oh, you haven't been overseas in a while. Oh no, there was COVID as well. So that was that was. Mm. Um. <clears throat> so yeah, that's it's been look. It's definitely been a journey of self discovery for me. And what started off as look, I'm really just a bit of a a change in my life. Um, and I think look, because because my wife was stay at home parent before that, so we swapped roles essentially. She went back to work full time. Um, and I like to say, hey, dad, since then we've, you know, each come back, we're both working part-time now. We both, you know, try to spend 
even time with the kids, although I'm, I'm probably still doing a little bit more of that, uh, mainly because I've got a more flexible role as well. But yeah, I like, I like what's going on at the moment with, uh, with this, um, with the flexibility that I've got in my life and seeing my kids grow up and seeing, you know, not have got a really good relationship with all three of them. And yeah, I, I couldn't imagine, couldn't imagine me going back to full time building time soon, no matter how much you pay. Yeah. No, I've heard similar from other dads as well as a result of COVID and, um, you know, working from home more, they're like, actually there's, there's a lot of stuff here that I, I want to get more connected with or more involved in. And so they're having, having that conversation and I've, I've the, you know, been encouraging dads that I talk to around, uh, go and ask, like, don't, don't assume that your workplace won't give you leave or won't let you be part-time or what have you. Um, go and ask and find out for sure. And you'll be surprised what's made available to you when you go and ask is kind of my experience of it, noting that it's somewhat still somewhat of a difficult conversation at times. And, um, you know, that creates other opportunities like you've shared for other, other things to happen in the household, which I think is great. Yeah. uh, That's a really good point about, about the asking because a lot of the dads that I speak to, it is quite mixed. It definitely is getting, um, getting a lot more acceptable and even there's some organizations that just assume it's a given, oh, okay, you can just come in with that. Okay. Well, how much leave do you want? Um, and even just the simple thing is, oh, look, I've got to leave work early. Can't go to this meeting this afternoon because I've got to go pick up the kids from school, you know, um, you know, previously, you know, your boss would usually just look at you and what isn't what your wife was yeah. watching us do. Um, whereas, thankfully, that's, I won't say no longer the case, but it's um, a lot, lot rarer these days where when men feel the pressure from their employers um, to, you know, no, you've got to stay at work. You know, well, what do you mean you're putting your family in front of work? What are you talking about? Although, what? I actually think that one of the main, or at least an obstacle to this happening a little bit more is the men themselves, you know, us, you know, because there is still a little bit of a stigma around, you know, sacrificing your career and your, your success and your wealth generation to just hang out with the kids, to spend some time with the kids. I mean, unless it's for a very specific purpose, so, you know, it's like, like he's running for the state championship that way, just kind of, well, okay, that's a good excuse. But, you know, oh, my kid's just feeling a bit down. I'd like to spend, stay at home here today. That's like, oh, okay, what? No, can't you get a babysitter or chuck her into daycare or something? <laughs> this sort of hit home to me a few years ago um, when I was, I was chatting to a guy who was about to get up. I was at this small conference and... There was a guy that was about to get up and talk about uh, a career in sales. You know, and he was a, maybe still is, he was a senior regional business development person for a pretty well-known IT company, by not name. And we were just having a chat before he went on stage. He had just become a new dad. And, you know, I was giving him, you know, my story, how, and this is, I think, 
at the stage when I was, I'd probably been a stay-at-home dad for about 18 months to two years. And was just trying to come out of it a little bit and try and get, you know, start generating some, some work and income. And I told him what my experience was very much like I just told you just then it was really positive, you know, really, you know, opened my eyes about a whole lot of things. And, and he was, he was really engaged. He was smiling with a new dad. I think his, his kid was about three months old or something. And, and I think the comment he made to me was, look, that's, that's fantastic. Well, you know, I, I'd, yeah, I'd really, I'd really like to be that engaged and involved with my kids as well. I'm really excited. I love, love my little fella. I know he's my whole world at the moment. But tell me, um, how are you handling the detrimental impact on your masculinity? And so, and so, so that was, that was not what I, but he, he wasn't being, um, he wasn't, he wasn't being uh, mean or he, I mean, he was legitimately asking because I think that was something just ticking over in his head that like, I'd like to do that. But then I don't know, I can, I'm only second guessing here, but I look, you know, my mates, you know, what would you do you know, being a house husband and he should be working and making lots of money and proving to can't jeopardize your career despite, you know, looking after babies. That's, I, I do get, I do have got comment, uh, uh, over the years of, you know, along the line of uh, that's women's work, you know, thankfully that's film far between now, but, mm. um, but still, there's still that little bit of a stigma around, um, yes, I'd love to be able to spend more time with my kids, but I've got work commitments and then the whole, I mean, go on the layer of underneath that, well, what does that actually mean? What, what, what are your work commitments? You know, what? What would happen if you went to the work and said, can I start with some flexible working hours now where, you know, I can probably do some hours late at night if, when the kids are asleep with me or, you know, or I can, um, um, you know, do things early in the morning and, and so on. So look, it is, it is an interesting space and I think it's, it's a challenge for, you know, a lot of, a lot of dads and a lot of men that are trying to get better dads. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think it would be worth definitely asking a question and hopefully be pleasant to be surprised at the response that we want. Mm. Because, you know, yeah, chances are the person you're talking to is a parent as well, where we understand yeah. what it's all about. Yeah, I'd, I'd met a stay at home dad. We went out to dinner with some of my wife's colleagues before we had kids. And I, you know, sort of working around the table, hi, um, yeah, such and such. I do such and such type thing conversations. And I got to this guy and it was like, what do you do? And he's like, I'm a stay at home dad. And I said genuinely to him, that sounds like the best job in the world. And I think he thought I was taking the mickey and being cheeky oh, about okay. it. And uh, I was like, no, I'm serious. I don't have kids yet. Um, but that sounds great. Uh, yeah. How did you get there? And, and how did you decide as a family unit that that's what you were going to do? And blah, 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 blah. blah. And, and then he sort of softened a bit. But I think he'd kind of been used to people having a crack at him for being a stay-at-home dad, which is it's a, it's a challenge. I mean, even when you just go to the, do the grocery shopping, oh, it's daddy daycare or you babysitting. So I'm like, no, I'm parenting. This is parenting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's lots of just little subtle things that men bump into. And I know a lot of it, it there is a lot of um, societal values that, and generational stuff that we tend to carry around. You know, you're the man, your your job is to put food on the table. And you know, really when you explore it, it's like, well, that's no longer true and it doesn't have to be true anymore. And if you want to be there, you know, for the 
not mundane, but the more regular moments as opposed to, oh, they're running for state, you know, championships or they're performing in a, you know, musical thing or whatever. I better drop in on that and I can drop in on that bit and then get back to what I'm uh, quote unquote meant to be doing in inverted commas. Now that's the, there's a lot that you that I think the dads are missing. And I think more dads are finding that, um, because they've been around a bit more because work's all been happening around it a bit around family a bit more, which has got pros and cons. So yeah, I would, I would say go and ask and see what the answer is. Definitely. Just, just maybe think of another quick story I've mentioned to you previously that I've um, set up a little dance group for suburb that I used to live in. And I remember there was um, one of the dads, we'd, we'd met quite a few times, and one of the dads had invited another dad to come along. And um, you know, he came to the first meeting, introduced himself, you know, soon after, I think we asked him, you know, also what he do. Obviously, you know, he obviously spent a lot of time with kids and, um, it was interesting that he, he opened with, oh, I'm a software developer and I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And, um, but then, then, um, he's, we had a really, really good chat. He's a really good guy. He's still part of the group now. By the second meeting, he sort of fessed up and, um, said, you know, I haven't really done software development for that three years. <laughs> Pretty much been, they have been there that whole time, but. You know, I just felt the pressure of being surrounded by a bunch of blokes. I thought they were going to judge me on, you know, what's your, what's your cred, what's your street cred in terms of work experience and seniority and influence of power and success. I thought I'd better, better not completely lie and make something up and mm. say something that I used to do. Uh, but yeah, but obviously, you know, he was comfortable enough to reveal that at the second session. And yeah, since then he was yeah, been you know, very proudly, you know, stayed home Dan and look, I, I went back and visited the group the other day, actually, a couple of weeks ago, I've been out of it for about, hadn't seen him for about a year and checked in on him. How you going? Yeah. Still staying home Dan. Loving it. What would I do anything else? Awesome. We're, we're doing okay financially. Um, so yeah, it's great. If more dads could, I don't know, swing that balance a little bit more that way. Um, yeah, okay. mm. And is, it sounds like there's some coaching you're doing in that space you mentioned earlier around how do I, what sort of coach do I want to be or where is my coaching needed? What sort of areas are you coaching in at the moment, Jason? So I'm coaching primarily in two areas. I'm Primarily coaching tech leaders, um, mainly, and, and that's, that's sort of, you know, there's a little bit of mentoring there as well, because that's leveraging off my experience as a, you know, senior, senior IT. Um, so that, again, going back to that point I made earlier about how look, I've got a lot of knowledge in that area. I've had a lot of success in, you know, delivering projects and systems and managing technical teams and. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm still able to put that to some use, although I'm, I'm definitely, as I'm doing more of it, I am, look, I feel like I'm doing a lot more coaching and mentoring. So, which is essentially, you know, just giving a lot less direct advice, you know, and more encouraging people that I'm coaching. That was interesting because with tech leaders, I think they, they come in 
thinking coaching and mentoring is the same and hoping that, oh, okay, well, Jason's got all this experience here. Hopefully I can tap into that and find out what he's been in this situation. I've got the situation now and hopefully I can, you know, you know, do, do something like that, you know, like Edie. But, um, yeah, I'm doing, doing a lot more of just encourage them to think about their situation. I, I might tell stories or, you know, related experiences of things that might've worked for me, but I'm you know, being very clear that my environment is very different or what is very different for your experience now. I think here's just some thoughts behind not telling you to do this, you know, um, um, but if there's anything, what I've just said, which might help you reach some solution or, you know, or overcome the challenge that you're facing more well, yeah, well, that's awesome. But yeah, definitely more of that. The, the other area that I'm working in is kind leadership coaching, uh, which is obviously where we met Brendan for this great organization called Bam Buddha Group, which is essentially a leadership services organization with um, an unashamed emphasis on kindness. So I think it's, um, I suppose kind leadership is very much about, it's about recognizing the positive impact that you can have in everything around you. I suppose one way to describe it is we have some, at Bambuda, we have some programs targeted at um, businesses where we're taking through a program of kind leadership, which involves a lot of coaching, a lot of workshop facilitation, but it also involves some subject matter experts coming in and talking about some aspect of kind leadership. And we developed this kindness curriculum around these five pillars. And I'll just rattle them off now to, to just frame it a little bit. So there's kindness to people, to your people, kindness to your customers, kindness to your community, kindness to the environment, and kindness to yourself. And so these things are, you know, sort of pervade um, or, or underpin everything that we do in this space. So we're not necessarily um, sitting there, you know, telling people you need to be nicer and, you know, stop being mean and selfish. It's, it's more about trying to understand the impact that you're having on everything around you, all those things that I said, your people, your customers, your community, the environment. Um, and in particular yourself, you know, being kind to yourself um, and trying to ensure as much as possible to make sure that that impact is positive, you know, because we, we did a bit of um, reflection last year with an organisation about, you know, what is kind leadership, you know, and we, we spoke to a few people and we, we even had some, we even had some interns from university come in and try and, try and talk to us about it and, um it's sort of landed on something relatively simple. You know, kindness is really the art of just making everything better. <laughs> um, and, and I suppose the, when I think about my experience of being a stay-at-home dad, uh, being more engaged uh, parent and more engaged husband, I think it's the empathy that I've developed in those sort of roles that has helped me with my, with my kind leadership coaching because, um, something it enables me to be more present for the people that I'm coaching. Um, and all that enables me to be genuinely curious about what's going on in their world. And that's, that's definitely helping with the sort of, uh, I suppose the questions that I'm asking my counterparts, my coaches. Um, 
Yes, okay. I've got a question more. Do I answer it? Uh, what sort of coaching do you do? So, uh, you know, and remember, yeah, <laughs> Athens in coaching too. Oh, did I answer the question? I'm like, oh, oh, you get to determine whether you've answered it or not. That's <laughs> it. I'm very. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's good. And it's my second year um, being a BAM Buddha kindness coach. It's such a great, uh, you know, counterparts to work with and interesting work that they're doing. And, yeah, as a result, I've been asking, you know, hear people tell those sort of stories and it's like, what? I've been asking more about what, what would a kind approach look like or what, how could you be kinder to yourself or, or what would you, uh, if a good friend, I really like that question came to you and was sharing this problem with you, how could you encourage them to, to be kinder to themselves and, and real light bulbs go on for people around, oh, yeah, I am being a bit mean to myself or I am being a bit harsh on myself or not recognizing the great things. I like that. Uh, the art of making everything better is a definition that's, and I like that it's an art, not a science as well. Well, well, the kindness to self pillar was the last pillar, which was four. There were only four pillars before because in some ways the kindness to self was assumed to be in there. But obviously as a result of the last few years of, you know, the things that have gone on in the world, um, there definitely needs to be a focus and recognition that it's pretty much the most important pillar. If you don't have that kindness to self, um, it's very hard to do that for, you know, across those other pillars. And I worked with quite a few not profit for burps organizations and typically find that people in those organizations really selfless, really focused, have really external focus on helping other people, but the cost of that is usually themselves. They just burn out, you know, they've lost their sense of identity. They don't, because they're so busy, um, working towards making everything better for everyone else. They forgot that, well, you're, you're there at the heart of it and are you taking time out Are you taking time to, you know, to find your third space as, as Adam Tracy would say, um, and. And look, it's, it's definitely something which I learned to do oh, probably late in, late in my career, uh, mainly as a, and I think I was doing it not knowing, definitely not knowing it was called the third space, not doing it intentionally. Um, um, at first it was more just for me, I, I needed to, I needed to change things and the way it was going on in my work, work environment it's every day would just get you know, I was definitely the sort of person that was eating lunch at his desk. Um, you know, there were, there were, there were times where I didn't even have time to go to the toilet. I would, I would literally sit entire days, meeting to meeting, you know, project to project. And, you know, by the end of the day, I was, well, I was busting. I was really busting. And I'm thinking, this, this is no good. I need to, I need to be able to find time just to go to the toilet. So, um, and so I started, I started doing some of the simple ways for lunch. I would leave, I would go offsite and often on my own, but often just with someone else. And it was just to get my, get my head into a different space. And I wouldn't think about if I went to lunch with someone else, I would respectfully ask them, can we not talk about work? Talk about anything else, you know, holidays, family, you know, what are you doing this weekend? What are you watching on TV? Um, and so, yeah, so that, that finding that time for myself 
And, and so what had happened is I'd go back after lunch and just be significantly more productive. You know, I was, I'd, I'd got that time to reset and refresh and you know, a little bit of reflection and, and yeah, and I, and I was able to, you know, just not, not leave work for the day as anxious as I used to be. Um, yeah. And, and when I'm coaching people now, yeah, I'm still finding a lot of people that that's like, oh yeah, that's, yeah, I've, I've got to make time for myself. Yeah. I've been meaning to do that for the last five years. <laughs> you know, it's, um, and it is, you know, easier said than done. So you can, my, my advice, you know, as much as like advice in these sessions is just to start, start small. It doesn't have to be carve out two hours so you can get the right meditation music and pick the perfect feet to walk along the perfect weather. It might just be when you're walking in between meetings, you know, take the same room, take, you know, look, go down a different corridor, look at different people and just switch off. Just even five minutes, you know, that, that, you know, usually just gets in the right direction. Mm. Yeah. I'm a, a big advocate of the take lunch, particularly for leaders, because if they don't take lunch, people notice that then they go off, they're busy. I, I want to be supportive of them or I want to help them or I want to be, be them. So maybe I shouldn't take lunch. And then before you know it, half the organization isn't taking lunch, which isn't good. Like we're not at our best when we've spent eight hours sort of strapped to a keyboard or, or bouncing between meetings. Um, and usually it results in a 3 PM raid on the choc chocolates and the chips and the soft drinks and the, what have you to get us through to 5 PM. So the social club Christmas party is not as good if people are taking lunch and getting out yeah. of the office. But I think that's a fair trade. I'm happy with that. <laughs> but yeah, but. Going, going to that point you made about um, concentration span, I remember when we went to uni, I think lectures were deliberately 50 minutes long because they knew that once you sort of get to about that point, we'll just start losing concentration. So even if you had a double lecture, there would usually be a five-minute break in between. And so every now and then, I'll, you know, I'll go to a, a presentation or a workshop and we're just churning through three hours, you know, nothing. And, I, and I'm, yeah, I'll sort of, you know, trying to drop his facilitator, I'm sort of noticing that everyone is either completely engaged or falling asleep. So can we have a break, please? Yeah. I think particularly online, uh, I run a couple of workshops online. Well, more than a couple, but I've run workshops online and about an hour in, you start to lose people. And so it's about 50 minutes probably. And I'm like, let's take a break now. And people are like, no, I'm good. Let's push on. I don't need a break. Oh, and I say, no, go. And you probably think it'll be too early and too long and that you can work through it. I'm going to ask you to walk away from your screen. The email will be there when we finish because this afternoon, particularly when they're all day online workshops, which can be challenging, you will be completely burnt out and not able to get any of the value from the time that we have together. So go now, go early, go for longer than you think, go away from your screen. And then come back and been really strong on that. And yeah, it, people reflect in the afternoon. They're like, yeah, it was really good to have those breaks earlier on. Thank you for sort of mandating them because yeah, like, you no, said, you're right. In, just... in the online environment, you have to, you have to have someone mandating it because in, in the face-to-face -face environment, if you're the facilitator and you hadn't thought about mandating it, but you usually get the message when about six people get up and just have a toilet or something at the same yeah. time. 
<laughs> and then you will but whereas on zoom or teams my someone might just turn their video off, mm. you know and then another and you don't know what that means it might be oh i don't know maybe they're adjusting their hair or something or maybe they need to sneeze i don't know yeah <laughs> maybe they just go and get a, get a drink but um no that's that's a, that's a good point you know having to ensure and facilitate it and just know we've we've reached we've reached that that magical point where we all need a break including myself so make yourself a cuppa and a toilet if you need to stretch your legs get outside if you can that's always a good one just go and stand yeah. in the middle of your backyard for five minutes <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and you've mentioned that you coach in an area you used to have expertise in, which I think is a real challenge. I often do my best coaching when I have no idea what the person is talking about. How do you fight that desire to tell and desire to give advice and to, and to stay curious in particular when you're working with tech leaders who are probably, as you say, expecting you to solve their problems for them. Isn't that what I'm paying you for? You solve those problems. How do you Look, fight it, it is. It is a, yeah, you're right. It's a, it is a little bit of a dance. And look, I, I try to put myself in their shoes and, and look, I know that even before I went and did my coaching accreditation that I conflated coaching and mentoring. And I remember, I think after I did my, like my first day of my coaching accreditation course, and one of the key messages that day was, you know, was, was coaching one-on-one. So it was, we don't give advice. That's just a series of questions. And I'm like, and I'm, I'm definitely thinking, what? So if someone's engaged me to be their coach, um, and all I'm doing, yeah, because of my experience and my expertise and my knowledge and, um, and, and qualification, and I'm just sitting there asking them questions, I'm going to get punched in the face at the end of it. Like, you know, really? <laughs> uh, it was, and I look, and I've definitely, I suppose one of the things is make that very clear from the outset that I'm not giving you advice. Um, I will, I will tell you a little bit about some of my experiences, um, to give you some quick thought, but this is all about you trying to, you know, or us trying to work out collaboratively or, you know, me to help you really come up with solutions. But in terms of finding my own, look, it is, there's almost like there's a little voice in my head, which is. Becoming a lot more attuned now to say, oh, no, 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 hang on, I think you're going down the advice path here. And I will start sentences where, where it's going to go and I'll sound like a bit of like, then I'll, then I'll correct myself and steer it, steer it in another, another direction. Um, I think what helps with tech, and when we touched on this before we started inquiring, Benny, is that it's the tech, management of tech now is very different. <laughs> the way that I used to say, don't want to take my advice on, you know, on how we used to um, administer Windows 95 and, um, and Microsoft Office before 365 existed. You know, that's, that's yeah. very different now. Um, so, but yeah, it, it, it is definitely a bit of a challenge. But, but, it, but even, even, in, even in the non-tech stuff, you know, on, coaching leaders now and I've had seen executive experience and some of their problems are exactly the same challenges that I had. Some of them I overcame, some of them I failed miserably at, you know, and it is, yeah, you have to remind yourself that I, I suppose it's very much about 
it's almost like you're you're coaching coaching yourself mind, like you take you back take yourself back to the situation. Now, what what would have helped me back then in that situation? What what perspectives didn't I look at that I should have? And yeah, I find myself doing that a little bit, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, but but definitely hold, holding that space for the for the coaching. I think. I well, definitely when uh, you know when I when I first started coaching, it was hard to be comfortable with that silence. It was because I or if there was a break of more than about two seconds, it was like oh no one's talking, better be me. I better say something. Um, holding holding that space and. I guess sending the message to the person I'm coaching. Yeah, I'm not talking. It's you. You're you're the one that needs to say something now. <laughs> yeah, and I find that when I'm being coached as well, when we hit that point, that my reflections are, I don't actually want the person coaching to talk because I'm thinking and I'm working through what it is that I'm doing. And so I recognize that more when I'm coaching now is I'm feeling it's quiet for too long. I'm feeling that it's uncomfortable and yet the value is being generated from the, from the process because the person is accessing that new thinking. So my job is to be quiet, even if it is a little uncomfortable for me because it is most likely not for them. And if it is uncomfortable for them, then it's uncomfortable for them. They they need to work through that or or, or reflect on what's happening for them because there's meant, there's value that is being generated in that space. There's insights that come from that space. But I have had a few engagements, particularly early on where people showed up and I probably wasn't as clear about splitting coaching and mentoring. Yeah. And, and they showed up expecting mentoring and, and they would, you know, respond with, thank you for the session, found it really valuable, not quite what I'm looking for. When I was working with another organization in particular, you know, can I work with a different coach? Would they'd sort of ask that? And I'd say, yeah, that's fine. Like I don't want, I'm not connecting with everyone or expecting to connect with everyone. I'm fine for you to try another coach. And then they'd try another coach and I'd check in, you know, with the organization. How did that second session go? Was there something I can learn to be a better coach myself from that? And they'd say, oh, they ended up not continuing with that coach either. They had one session and they sort of stepped out. It's, so it's like, oh, they want they wanted something different. They wanted mm-hmm. some mentoring. They wanted to just be told. And mentoring has a place. It's very, very valuable uh, in many circumstances. But I think sometimes it's nice to just sit in the uncomfortableness and do some coaching and, and get those insights yourself. And I always find I'm more motivated to achieve stuff when I've come up with it as well. It sounds like a much better idea when it's my idea as opposed to just being told you should go and yeah. do this, Brendan. <laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely. Mm. Um, I think, you know, and, and, and coaching people that also have a mentor, you know, that's, that's fine as well. You know, their mentor plays, you know, a pretty different role, what I'm trying to do. And, and look, I've had, I've had clients where they're almost expecting me to be a consultant as well, you know? So, you know, I'll need to do, uh, and, and this is where it does get a little bit hard with, with my tech leaders. So for example, I need to develop a IT strategy mm. or a strategic document or, or a disaster recovery plan or something. You don't want them? Yeah, I, I don't. 
Can you shit me through a copy? Something? Well, they're not really. The headings you used on that? <laughs> yeah, that's not what I'm here for. I can do that work. I might choose not to do that work, but I can do that work. But I, there's a different charging, you know, involvement <laughs> to yeah, get yeah, that up. Exactly. Yeah. Different type of engagement. And, you know, I've, I've, I get similar in HR because that's my background. Uh, as well as IT, but my IT is way too old for people to ask me that, but they'll ask me about HR stuff. And I think, no, I don't want to write the policy. I don't want to write the documentation anymore. I've done that. Let's check in with what's stopping you from, why, why are you asking one of your team or why, why aren't you developing the capability or why aren't you comfortable to put the pen on the paper if that's your role and make that happen or your hands on the keyboard? Yeah. I, I do find though that almost every single person who, even though they may have started the engagement with a, with a pretty different idea of what they were getting, once you explain it to them, um, they're usually pretty okay with it. Yeah. You know, they're, there's a little bit of a, oh, oh, okay. I thought we were going to help you like this cheap marketing document. Oh, no, okay. Oh, you're going to me to do it. Oh, all right. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm up for that. Let's see, let's see where that goes. Yeah. <laughs> I like it when it clicks. So you get the, oh, that's interesting, or that's, I hadn't thought of that, or that sounds different out loud, or, yeah. or one of those moments, and I'm like, that. that's what we're trying to get to with coaching. So that's the distilled value that I'm trying to create across our sessions, rather than me just telling you what to do. And people go, oh, keep doing that. That's good. I want that. So, okay. All right, we'll do that. <laughs> then the pressure's on to make that happen. <laughs> no, and I think, look, when, when you, preparation for this interview, um, just thinking about what my achievements were in coaching, yeah. you know, it was, it was pretty much what you just said then, you know, when you get that little bit of feedback, um, where it's, where the message is coming in loud and clear that this session's helping them. <laughs> Because I've definitely had some sessions where I'm just thinking, ah, I'm getting nothing. I don't know whether, whether she's here because she's, you know, because her manager's paying for these coaching sessions. She, um, uh, but yeah, but when you, when you get those, those uh, little nuggets from there, because they've, they've had a, they've had a live old moment, mm. you know, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. Or, or they'll follow along with something you said, oh, actually, yeah. That means that reminds you, yeah, maybe yeah, I should do this as well. Mm. Yeah. Oh, no, thank you for that. I'm like, oh. Um, <laughs> and that, yeah, that's, that's what, that's what I love about coaching, yeah. you know, and it, and it, I think it's all tied in with the, the you know, the empathy that I've developed, you know, as, as I've matured and, and that genuine curiosity to see, to see people exceed and reach their potential. That's, it's. That's so nice. You, you, you end those, you walk out of those, or you virtually walk out of those sessions, really invigorating. Um, um, yeah, you know, well, this is, this is why I do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those situations always intrigue me. I'm getting, look, my reflection, I'm not getting much here and I'm not sure they are either. And then you get towards the end of the session, like, oh, I got heaps out of today. Thanks. That was great. When can we have our next session? Let's get it in the calendar now. And they're really driving it and pushing it. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what, what did, 
what did you get? What, what was it that was valuable? And those can be really insightful as well around, okay, again, Brendan, check your own assumptions around what value is and what people should be taking from their coaching session. You know, people will get value and it's not around, it's not always the value that you think it's going to be. So that's a good reminder for me. Thank you. I think, look, yeah, reflect back on definitely my early, early coaching engagements and I was very hung up on making sure that I adhered to a framework or a methodology or was able to quote, um, subject matter experts just cause, cause I've, you know, I've been coach and I've, I've, you know, listened to speakers. I've personally been really impressed with it. And, oh, well, you know, sounds like we're going to Tuckman stages of team development. Hey, Bruce Tuckman, psychologist, you know, gained fame in 1965. You know, and I'll be, I'm far up How do I remember all these sort of things? And, um, I think obviously still trying to build my knowledge base in those areas, but not getting as flustered anymore and not being able to quote the exact detail of who they were. Um, and leaning a lot more on my coaching experience and, and my senior management experience as well as still being able to provide quite a bit of value. I mean, I think there's definitely some, some coaches would, you know, would be a little bit more impressed if you're able to quote, you know, um, academics and point in the rest of white papers, but most of them wouldn't really have the time to read it. You know, so. <laughs> Maybe send them a TED talk, sending them a TED talk is usually, usually pretty cool. It's 18 um, minutes. Of, um, but yeah, they definitely appreciate the, you know, I suppose they're holding the space for them and allowing them to think and reflect and, and, um, and speak because usually it's because, because they're so busy all, all day, every day, they're in transaction mode. You know, one of the great things, one of the things I tell my coaches as well, it's really great when you just carving out this one hour for this fortnight or month, depending on the frequency. Um, because chances are you probably would just pack this with another meeting or another, or another, you know, set of emails or, you know, something else that you have to do. Um, and that's, yeah, that's a really good start in the right direction. Yeah. Norris. Let's rattle off the, uh, seven questions to bring us to a close today, Jason. So just whatever's front of mind, just, uh, short answers and we'll see where we land. So the first question is what fulfills you? My family. And what frustrates you? Um, probably the lack of kindness that I see every day in different situations, um, situations where a decision could have been made in a more positive way and it wasn't. Mm -hmm. my bugbear, I think. Yep. If you could recommend one book that everyone should read, what's the book? Um, okay, this is probably completely off topic, but it's the first thing that came to mind, probably Dark Emu by Bruce Pascoe. Um, very good book about uh, the history of Indigenous society before colonisation. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good lead. Thank you. What do you most admire in your counterparts? Uh, they their willingness to self-improve, you know, the fact that they've committed to this and they continue to turn up and sometimes they are uncomfortable and sometimes, um, they don't really know what to do anymore, but 
there, there's something in them which, which is driving them to be a slightly better version of themselves than before. And that's, that's great. You know, I, I love seeing people wanting to improve themselves. What's your favorite coaching question? My favorite coaching question. Okay. Um, it's probably usually around. Depends obviously on, on context, but it's often around what does, what does person X, what would person X say about this situation? So depending on what it is, whether it's like, um, a peer manager, you know, their manager, their partner, you know, it's the issue they're having with, um, self-belief, um, getting them to think a little bit more about people that know them quite well, just for a different perspective than to think about. Mm -hmm. If you weren't a coach, what would you be? Well, I would be a, I would be the manager of a boy band and dad, actually, a manager of a dad band a dad band there we go <laughs> probably similar things uh, different challenges maybe if you could tell your younger self anything what would you say to yourself um a couple of things probably um all right, it's over for two things that can't come to life straight away are it's okay to be wrong. So I was a bit of a perfectionist when I was younger. Um, and it's not all about you. <laughs> I was pretty self-centered as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're talking to yourself, so that's all right. <laughs> but... Uh, Thank you for sharing those with us. And thanks for hanging out for our coach conversation today. I've enjoyed hearing about the the work you're doing in a number of spaces uh, and that um, being kind. Kind is the, the art of making things better. I really like that. So I'm taking that away definitely. So thanks, Jason. No, thanks, Brendan. Really enjoyed having a chat with you and hopefully we can chat again soon about some of our shared interests. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Coach Conversations podcast. To find out when new conversations are available, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Please rate, review, share, and comment as it helps in more ways than you can imagine. And if you'd like to join me for a Coach Conversation, please email brendon, B-R-E-N-D-O-N, at coachconversations.com.au. Thanks again for listening.